This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And we're going to have a great discussion today about how to continue keeping your business successful. Because you know what? We struggle on occasion, and there are times where our businesses are a challenge. And so we need to know how we get past those humps and not only get past those humps, but become even more successful because that's the key. It's not just to get up there. It's to keep going. See, I read my the book from my guest. And so please join me in welcoming Paul Tallner to our program today. Welcome, Paul. How are you doing? I'm great, Deb. Thank you so much for having me. It's great Perfect. to be here. I love it. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you and then we will dig in. So Paul Tallner is a principal and member of the global leadership team at Dagger Wing Group, a change consultancy that works with Fortune 100 companies. Previously, Paul led major culture integration, transformation, and workplace analysis projects as a partner at the Great Place to Work Institute and at his own firm, High Peaks Group. He has over 25 years working with executive teams to identify and implement strategic change initiatives. And in that time, he's held leadership positions in nonprofit, government, and private sector organizations. He is also the author of the book I just mentioned, Reinventing Resilience, How Organizations Move Beyond Setbacks and Grow Through Challenges. So again, Paul, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I always like to find out from my guests how they got to where they are today, because I think it's it's very interesting to know. Plus, I'm just curious, but how did you determine that this is your passion in life, at least yeah. for now? Yeah, it, it was a process of discovery for me. Mm-hmm. But one thread that carries through my mm-hmm. entire career is my curiosity about people and okay. what what makes groups behave the way they do. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my first jobs, or actually my very first job out of college, 
was working for my fraternity, like Ooh. at the national office of mm -hmm. my fraternity, where I got to go around from, you know, different campus mm -hmm. to, to campus mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, try to convince these young college students that, you know, there's a little bit more to fraternity life than just, mm -hmm. you know, partying. There are values and other mm -hmm. things right. that, that come along with and responsibility mm -hmm. and leadership that come along with, with all this stuff. And one of the observations I made back then, this was ages ago now, was that no matter where I went, I could go to an Ivy League school somewhere or a small liberal arts school or a state school, you know, different parts of the country. It seemed like there was um, a, a common cast of characters mm -hmm. and there were some common uh, responses to, you mm -hmm. know, various things or, you know, common behaviors in groups, no matter where they came from or what, what their configuration was. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got got me thinking a little bit about why it is groups tend to do what they do. Mm -hmm. you know? And and even even when they are, um, you know, maybe not supposed to do mm -hmm. whatever it is they're supposed to do. And then so that led to kind of a little bit of a, a lifelong curiosity around why do some groups succeed? Why do mm -hmm. some groups fail? Why? Why could there be a really great, highly qualified, you know, you know, blue ribbon, mm -hmm group of people tasked with some very important, mm -hmm. uh, you know, objective, and then they fail miserably. But then, mm -hmm. you know, a ragtag group of people who've never met mm -hmm. to somehow persevere and make ama amazing things happen. It's always been something that's very, been very, very fascinating mm -hmm. to, to me. Um, and, you know, as destiny would have it, I found that they're, you know, found relatively late in life that there is a, there's a career around, around that. Ah. There's a field mm -hmm. <laughs> called organizational development. Mm -hmm. I had no idea um, that is all about sort of the philosophy of groups and the, or mm -hmm. sorry, the psychology of groups and, uh, you know, why it is they behave the way they do. So mm -hmm. uh, after a stint uh, as an executive director of a nonprofit organization where I, you know, kind of ascended into this role mm -hmm. because of my subject matter expertise, I didn't really have any leadership experience at mm -hmm. all and, and was struggling as a mm -hmm. leader. Um, you know, and, and what I needed was some, some training and some mm -hmm. way to think about. So I thought about a lot of things and as a lot of mid-career folks think about getting an MBA or whatever, my sister actually said, you know, maybe you should try this master's degree in organizational development mm -hmm. because they have not only, you know, strat business strategy mm -hmm. and it's, you know, this, I got my degree at Case Western Reserve University, a uh, great, great program, the master's in positive OD. Mm. Um, not only do they have business strategy and it's run out of the business school there, but they also have a huge sustainability mm. track within the program mm -hmm. and also an executive coaching track within Ooh. the program. So you mm -hmm. not only learn how to be a coach leader, mm -hmm. but you get coaching and you mm -hmm. learn from amazing people. So um, that's when I decided, so I decided to do that, even though I thought, you know, it's a little weird. It's a little fluffy. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure this is my thing. It mm -hmm. feels a little like, you know, it's all about feelings. Not mm -hmm. really. Woo -woo. Yeah, a little woo-woo. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was a skeptic, but went anyway. 
uh, and it was life changing for me. Because like because complete- sisters are wise people. Yes. Sisters are wise. We need to listen mm-hmm. to our sisters literally every time. So um, went to that went to that program, and and suddenly you know I I was like I I really feel like I found my calling. Mm-hmm. Love doing this. Love helping mm-hmm. organizations. I love being the kind of you know, guide on the side with mm-hmm. other, with executives who are really trying to make mm-hmm. positive change inside their organizations or, you know, make their organizations more impactful in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I get to do that every day. And it's so, mm-hmm. it's so fun. It's mm-hmm. a great, great role. And uh, I love, I love Daggerwing Group. I love mm-hmm. where I am and uh, get to work with amazing colleagues every day doing some really cool things. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You know, and I was looking at Daggerwing's website and it mm-hmm. starts with, do change right the first time. Yeah. And, you know, so that that sounds easy, right? Because we don't <laughs> want to be repeating ourselves. But why is it so difficult? Why is it such a challenge to get it right the first time? Yeah, well, uh, a couple of reasons. One is I think mostly b- people believe that you you do a change project or a change initiative mm-hmm. in in an organization the same way you fix a car mm-hmm. right like you you know there's a, a screw loose right. or there's a hose this part that goes yeah, here you just kind of like mm-hmm. oh, plug it back together it'll be fine mm-hmm. when people are involved it's an entirely different story mm-hmm. because pe- we all have our own emotions we all have our own um ways of seeing the world mm-hmm. we have our own values and we have our own experiences that we all bring to the mm-hmm. bring to the organization and all of that when that when that intersects, it creates the culture of mm-hmm. of an organization. Right. Uh, and trying to change anything within a system disrupts that culture mm-hmm. that everybody's used to, everybody's comfortable mm-hmm. with. Even if they don't like it, they're comfortable with it. They know right. how to work with it. And we it, don't kind of like change. Don't like change. Mm-hmm. So uh, oftentimes uh, that creates a lot of resistance in, mm-hmm. in organizations. Resistance, of course escalates the failure mm-hmm. rate and a lot of uh, many of many people I'm sure have heard the stat that you know over 70% of change efforts fail mm-hmm. um so why do we keep doing it right, right. So, mm-hmm. uh but the cost of not changing is mm-hmm. higher than the cost of trying so right. we have to keep trying mm-hmm. right you know and i i as i mentioned you wrote this great book reinventing resilience how organizations move beyond setbacks and grow through challenges and we're going to talk more about exactly what you mean by resilience but as I was reading it, one of the things that struck me was that you talked about the fact that whether it's a classroom, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's a business, when something's not going the right way, we want to try to fix the people mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at the entity and saying, why, you know, what do we need to fix here? Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah. And this was really the genesis of the book. The whole mm-hmm. idea of the book came from um, a lot of my observations during the pandemic when people mm-hmm. were trying to, where there was lots and lots of free advice out there about how to sustain yourself mm-hmm. through these challenging times. Right. And all of that advice is really, really good mm-hmm. advice. You know, the whole, you know, mindfulness, well being, mm-hmm. all of that great stuff. Very, very important. It became commercialized and dropped into organizations as a right. solution to mm-hmm. help those individuals. You know, it was something an organization could do to mm-hmm. help people maybe feel like they were still part mm-hmm. of something, uh, that the organization cared about them and that there was, you know, um, to, to provide, you know, an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of the challenges that people were mm-hmm. going through. And I 
I think that's very, very important and mm -hmm. something organizations really needed to do and still need to do. But <laughs> it's not enough, <laughs> mm -hmm. right. right? Because the, the what's underneath that is this fundamental problem-solving mm -hmm. notion that if we just simply create an organization full of resilient people, mm -hmm. all of a sudden the organization itself will be resilient. And that right. just, that logic doesn't follow, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you know, I, I talk about this arrow metaphor, right? So mm -hmm. like, do, you know, if you put a bunch of arrows together, they're harder to bend, but mm -hmm. if you, you know, have one, it's really flexible. Mm -hmm. They're designed to be flexible for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, they actually wobble through the air to stay on track. And mm -hmm. that's kind of like us in life, right? We mm -hmm. all wobble. Right. <laughs> wobble we wobble, wobble around. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's how we stay on target mm -hmm. is to literally wobble our way through, mm -hmm. through everything. But we lose that flexibility when, when we have sort of these, mm -hmm. um, kind of, uh, unilateral or kind of whole, um, you know, uh, system-wide solutions mm -hmm. for problems that seem to be individualized, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's a little bit of a tricky thing to just assume that if we have a bunch of strong arrows, uh, we're going to have a strong organization. Right. But the, ra the reality is all those arrows are scattered all over the place. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you even aim at the right target? Exactly. Are you, you know, did you throw them as opposed to using a bow? All of those sure. various things. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I dig metaphors, by the way. So there's more to come. Yay! Uh, <laughs> um, but the the thing about organizations is that, you know, treating, or not treating, but sort of working on so solving individuals mm -hmm. also keeps people from focusing on the bigger problem or the right. bigger challenge of mm -hmm. what what is the, what's the, um, you know, environment that we're creating mm -hmm. that is causing the stress in the mm -hmm. first place. Right. You know, what, what are the systemic issues The whether it's the policies, the practices, mm -hmm. the ways of working, the culture, mm -hmm. ways of managing and leading, those kinds of things all affect how people perceive their mm -hmm. workplace. And no amount of wellness training is going to overcome right. any difficult mm -hmm. challenges they may have with their boss, for instance, right? right? So, like, it's not like I can't meditate my way out of a toxic relationship mm -hmm. with a boss. Right. So you have to work on the systemic issues, mm -hmm. you know, leaders need to lead differently. Policies need to evolve mm -hmm. for the, with the times practices, all of, all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I'm encouraging organizations to do mm -hmm. is to really think about what, what do they want mm -hmm. uh, for their people and how do mm -hmm. you create an environment that delivers that. Right. For them? Right. And if that's not happening, why? Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone eh, several months into COVID, um, you know, and of course it was so bizarre because now I, I home office, I've home office for 20 years. But for people who were in an office, they were in on Friday and home on Monday. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no, you, know, yeah. you didn't have a lot of time to prepare yeah. for it. Yeah. The the business certainly didn't have a lot of time to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with this uh, one manager and he told me he was so concerned that, you know, his, his people were not getting the work done. He didn't trust them. And I said, well, are they getting the work done at home? Well, and I said, did you trust them when they were in the office? And he paused. <laughs> and I and and I said, that would be your problem. If you didn't trust them when they were under your little thumb, then when they're not under your little thumb, 
they're pro- you know, they, that's not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I said, so you have a totally different issue. You know, it is not remote working. Right. It is, you don't trust your workers for yep. whatever reason. And he just looked at me like I was nuts and wandered off. Um, you know, but, but that really was it. The systemic problem was that he didn't trust him. Now, were they non-trustworthy? Who knows? You know, it could have just been he was a micromanager. And, and you know, the, the poor micromanagers of the world, their heads all exploded about the third week of COVID, right? Because they just couldn't stand it anymore. Yeah. Um, and But it that really was, you know, kind of the thing was he didn't trust them in the office. So how could he trust them when they were not in the office? Yeah. You know, the, it's, you know, these things like COVID mm-hmm. or the you know, recession mm-hmm. or any of these global challenges mm-hmm. that are happening, right? Supply chain, mm-hmm. any of these things are these giant headwinds that mm-hmm. uh, that hit an organization mm-hmm. and bring to the surface all of these things that you're mm-hmm. talking about, right? right? Whether it's lack of trust, lack of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, flexibility, lack mm-hmm. of uh, ownership in their work, mm-hmm. poor culture, all those things, they tend to reveal right. um, all of the, all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, the mistake I think organizations make is they focus on the on the on the problem mm-hmm. as opposed to the opportunity right. that's there. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, folk like you know the uh, the old adage. You know, you can't control the winds, but you can adjust your sails. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the you know yell you know being upset with COVID mm-hmm. or being upset with mm-hmm. remote work or being upset with right. supply chain. It's mm-hmm. like being mad at the weather. Like mm-hmm. why? There's no yeah, point. I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. know? So you, but what you can do is, you know, focus people's attention on what's working in the organization. Mm -hmm. What, you know, maybe, you you know, let's talk about how productive people actually are. Mm -hmm. What do they need in order to be even more productive Mm -hmm. given this reality Mm -hmm. that we're all working in? How do we keep people wanting to Mm -hmm. work for us when they've got seemingly endless choice now Mm -hmm. to do whatever it is they want, including Mm -hmm check out of the workforce altogether, mm-hmm. which was almost never mm-hmm. thought of before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're all organizations do need to be thinking about what, are, what kind of, what kind of environment are they creating? Mm-hmm. What kind of, uh, you know, what kind of environment are they creating that, that keeps their people really engaged in the work, mm-hmm. engaged in, in mm-hmm. being part of it. And it doesn't have to be like a super kumbaya team and family kind right. of thing. But it does have to meet people's needs, mm-hmm. and those needs have evolved over time, mm-hmm. right? And and I think COVID probably brought a lot of that um, to the to the surface, um, you know. And and it was it, it was very interesting to be parts of you know online meetings because you know couldn't meet in person and just hear people talk, um, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 then when there are the opposite, that's what's so cool. Um, I interviewed a general several years ago who had a, and still has a very large business, um, you know, and, and he's a government contractor. So it's, you know, large in people and in money and, and all sorts of things. And he said his ultimate goal, and, and it was fulfilled quite a long time ago, was when he could go on vacation and not worry. <laughs> and, and he um, said, because he had good people. And he said, did you hmm. have some people who weren't? Sure. You know, and, and it wasn't that they weren't good people. It was that maybe they'd come in half hour late, you know, all of these various things. But he said the key was he had good people in the right positions. Mm-hmm. And so, and he trusted them. Comes back to that word trust, right? Um, and and he empowered them also. You know, they could make the decisions without calling him and saying, mm, you know, 
he, you know, and they knew it. They knew that he trusted them enough to do that. And I thought, can I go work there? I want to work for that guy because that culture sounded like a fantastic place. Mm. Um, you know, and 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 he just really it was it was his goal. He said it was actually one of his goals also to have them go on to better jobs because he felt like kind of the parent sending yep. them off into the world. So they did, you know, uh, they paid for college, they paid for trainings, all of those things. And he said, but of course, here's the key. They don't go, mm-hmm. you know, because they know where they are is a wonderful place to be. And right. so they stay there or they go and they come back, Absolutely, um, you know, and, and, but yeah, it was, it was so interesting to talk to him because that. it is very rare. I love that. I mean, well, it is, I mean, talk about creating a resilient organization mm-hmm. that survive that can survive mm-hmm. lots of challenges, you know, right. an organization that has, you know, a lot of earned mm-hmm. trust among people mm-hmm. is one that is, in my opinion, very, very resilient and can mm-hmm. withstand a lot, right? So mm-hmm. especially withstand a lot of temptation, like mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity and or offer mm-hmm. to go somewhere else or right. to, you know, or even just yourself. to come into the office 15 minutes late because the boss For isn't sure, there. Right. Mm-hmm. All of those things. Those are very, those are very important things that could, um, you know, help organizations really maintain that high, that high, not only high levels of trust, mm-hmm. but trust that ends up accruing mm-hmm. to the point where you have a, a backlog, a sort of a reserve mm-hmm. that that enables you to really tap into it during those more challenging right. moments, uh, which is sort of a hallmark mm-hmm. of resilient organizations. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting knocked down mm-hmm. and then scra- scraping and crawling mm-hmm. your way back to where you were when you got hit. Mm-hmm. That's not. Res- I mean, that is what a lot of people believe mm-hmm. resilience is, and I think that right. is te- that is technically the definition, mm-hmm. but. What I like to think about for organizations is an idea of reinvented resilience, mm-hmm. where it's about how do we look at a challenge as an opportunity to grow as a result of mm-hmm. it, grow because of it, not right. just this thing that slaps us in the face that causes everybody to kind of panic and mm-hmm. run fire drills and then just simply, you know, kind of mm-hmm. make it go away as quickly as possible because it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to really grow and evolve and imagine new possibilities and new ways forward and new ways mm-hmm. of working to evolve the business into mm-hmm. a direction it needs to go. Right. So how do you define resiliency? Yeah. Um, I think the uh, first thing to think about or first thing, first difference, I mean, I called my book reinventing resilience mm-hmm. because I wanted to give people a new way to think about resilience. Number one is that um, resilience is resilience scales to the mm-hmm. organizational level, right? Mm-hmm. So we all think about, I am, am I resilient? Are other people resilient? Are great. But all of the same qualities of resilient individuals scale up to the organizational level. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. And then the, the way I define resilience, I alluded to a minute ago, is it's the uh, ability to uh, grow um, because of challenge, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to really uh, look at an, look at those moments that are of peak um, crisis or challenge mm-hmm. and use that as a, as a way to grow mm-hmm. through those challenges and not just simply survive them. Right. You know, and, and I think that's the critical part of this is, yeah, we want to get back to the status quo. You know, we want to, whatever it was, we want to fix it, but then we have to go past it. We have to learn from the mistakes. We have to learn from the positives too. Um, yeah. You know, and and because hopefully there's lots of those. But if we're just getting back to where we were, 
mm-hmm. then, then the company, the organization is not going to grow. And isn't learning, right? So, right. I, you know, I think that's the that's what's implied in this idea of just simply getting up after being knocked mm-hmm. down. It's like, okay, okay, I'm done. I'm good. I, I my the goal was to just get back up again, mm-hmm. and we all think of that as successful right. resilience. Mm-hmm. But what it doesn't take into account is the learning that happens as a mm-hmm. result of being knocked down in the first mm-hmm. place, right? So what? Why did I get knocked? Why was right. I standing where I was standing? Mm-hmm. How was do I fo- keep from being knocked down again? How, right. How do I avoid mm-hmm. it? Or how do I get a little bit stronger? Mm-hmm. How do I, you know, uh, get support, other mm-hmm. resources to make that easier to handle next mm-hmm. time if it's a, it's something that's inevitable? But in order to do all that, you know, the way I, I define this through a number of interviews and research is mm-hmm. um, organizations need the courage and confidence to grow mm-hmm. through challenges, mm-hmm. right? So this idea of, you know, collective courage mm-hmm. and collective confidence, not just one individual heroically standing on the mm-hmm. hill, like sort of being the kind of flag bearer for right. all things, but like everybody believing mm-hmm. that the organization can go, go forward mm-hmm. and make it through, even though they don't know what challenges lie mm-hmm. ahead, they believe they can do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the courage to face those challenges mm-hmm. when they do ultimately uh, appear, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's, that is the ultimate kind of definition mm-hmm. of courage is to face those fears right. and to not shrink away from mm-hmm. them or avoid them or run away, but to actually say, you know what, I don't know how mm-hmm. I'm going to deal with this, but I definitely need to be looking at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's difficult for a lot mm-hmm. of organizations to do when they're facing a challenge, because a lot of times they just get stuck and go into right. panic mode the mm-hmm. same way individuals do. They have, mm-hmm. you know, they get a amygdala hijack as they mm-hmm. call it, and they go into fight, flee or freeze mm-hmm. mode. Uh, as an and we do freeze an awful lot of the time. Organi- yeah, that's te- mm-hmm. that's typically what organizations will mm-hmm. do. They'll freeze, you know, or or take a t- you know take some drastic action like immediately do cost cutting or layoffs mm-hmm. or which sometimes is absolutely necessary, mm-hmm. but it it's a it's a response. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a reflexive response and mm-hmm. not one based on growing through a challenge. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I think we obviously saw a lot of that during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the hard part was the not knowing. You know, we, we all laugh now when we think back and, and we were told two weeks, we're going <laughs> to shut everything down for two weeks, right? And we all, yeah, see, we all went, yeah, right. Um, you know, and, and, and that would have been great, right? That really, and, and it wasn't, you know, we don't want to blame anybody, you know, for, for any of that. But it, it wasn't going to run its course in two weeks. I mean, that was just not going to happen. Um, and so, you know, but, but companies didn't know, you know, was it two months? Mm-hmm. Was it two years? More than two years, we're still dealing with this. I mean, you know, all of those things. And that's, you know, that that really challenges anybody, you know, that that whole not knowing thing. So how do you work with companies when they're really in this we have absolutely no idea what the future holds, you know, mm-hmm. because we, you, you know, markets come, markets go, trends go, all these various things. But with something like COVID, and hopefully we don't have to deal with this again, but, you know, when it's just, oh my gosh, we don't know what's going to happen. How do you work with that? Yeah. Um, it's, I, I think I'm going back to this courage and confidence mm-hmm. idea because I think organizations do need to recognize that a couple of things, you know, um, the more, more resilient organizations are the mm-hmm. ones that I study that show strong signs of resilience mm-hmm. are the ones that understand 
that they have been through things before. Mm -hmm. Um, in my book, I talk about the oldest company in the world, 15, like you think it was started in 1500 Mm -hmm. and it's still going. It's a small Japanese company. Mm -hmm. Uh, so clearly not operating the same way it did back then. Right. Like mm-hmm. a lot of things have changed. You've got electricity and <laughs> yeah, little things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, you, so you, when you redefine your relationship with change mm-hmm. and say like it's actually inevitable, mm-hmm. and if you kind of recognize that it's going to happen anyway, mm-hmm. you can either have it. You, you you can either have it done to you, or you can sort of be intentional, right, about it. So I think the idea of um, being intentional about change, mm-hmm. looking down the road and really kind of understanding that, you know, there are a lot of things you can control mm-hmm. because, you know, if you just do a little bit of mm-hmm. looking back on the things that worked right. before, mm-hmm. you'd say like, you know what, this is, this mm-hmm. kind of reminds it's me pretty of similar mm-hmm. or we, you know what, I don't, maybe it's not similar at all, but mm-hmm. we've done 50 hard things before. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can do another mm-hmm. 51st hard thing. Right. So I think that's where, where organizations tend to, um, where, where organizations tend to not do deep thinking, mm-hmm. they get, when they get stuck, just like a person, you know, like mm-hmm. a, you see a bus coming, you freeze, right? you forget that you can move. Mm-hmm. Right? So similarly, I think organizations mm-hmm. need to need to just sort of, um, recognize that they do have lots and lots of, mm-hmm. uh, history resources at their disposal, right. talent, Mm-hmm. Uh, experience, expertise they, that they can rely on mm-hmm. to uh, uh, move forward in a positive right. direction, even though these challenges might be unknown to them. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, they, there's, there could be competitors like, you know, this is the old Silicon Valley adage, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's always somebody in a, in a garage somewhere building right. a software. Getting ready or some, to, to start selling books mm-hmm. ready to take or over. develop a computer. Right. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So you should just assume that. And, and I mm-hmm. think that's the, so if you walk around paralyzed by fear being, mm-hmm kind of, you know, trying mm-hmm. to amass more armor to withstand mm-hmm. stuff, then you're only limiting yourself. Right. Well, and, you know, we see so many companies that do the, this is the way we've always done it type of, of business. And and right now, probably the best example of that is Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, you know, they're they're going completely under, you know, they've, they've tried. And I was listening this morning um, to a, a program on, on the radio and it was a, a business expert. And he said, they never quite caught on to the fact that who they were competing with, mm. um, you know, and, and so he gave the example, he said, you know, he wanted to buy a, a king size comforter. He did go in there. Did they have what he wanted? No, not really. Could he find somebody to help? No, not really. He went back and he went online to several different online places and found lots of things he really wanted mm. in, you know, color, size, price, all of those things. And he said, and that was pretty much what has happened to Bed Bath & Beyond. It was, well, this is how we operated 10 years ago. Mm. And so we're not going to, you know, we're, we're not going to compete against Walmart, Amazon, because this is the way we've always done it. Mm. And then I loved his example. He said, the, the ones that are doing well against the Amazons, the Walmarts, are those that have really gone back to being specialized, you know, so they might only sell king size comforters, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and he said, you know, are you limiting yourself? Sure. But people know if you want the best king size comforter, that's where you go. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, it just, it, but Bed Bath & Beyond is definitely an example of a company that would not change with the times. Um, yeah. I'm guessing that their employees were going, hello. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, and here's and, what we're hearing, um, you know, and and 
they just, nope, nope, nope. This is the way we've always done it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not resilient. Right. So mm-hmm. I think at some point, you know, there's a, you know, you see this with a lot of, a lot of companies, especially ones where we love to do mm-hmm. the forensic analysis of right. companies that have failed Sears. I talk about mm-hmm. in my book, for instance, and bed and bath. It's like, mm-hmm. what, what, like, I always would love to be in the room, right. in the executive boardroom mm-hmm. when they're all, when they all basically kind of look at each other and agree, mm-hmm. we're not going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, like we don't believe anymore that mm-hmm. this is going to happen yeah. or this is going to work or whatever. Yeah. Even we'll if file it's just, the paperwork. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. yeah. Even if it's, or even if it's even uh, like just some, some, decision that they make mm-hmm. or a look that they give each right. other from across the room is be like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're doing yeah. all this stuff, but is it really? So I think that's, there is a point when, <coughs> when, when organizations lose their uh, belief, lose mm-hmm. their collective belief right. that it can happen. And that's when the mm-hmm. wheels just completely fall mm-hmm. off. Um, and, and the demise can be pretty mm-hmm. quick after that. Right. Um, I think it's a little um, sadder when they when they do believe they can change mm-hmm. and they just don't have the awareness like they're mm-hmm. trying to solve problems that nobody has anymore for instance right. you know or things like that they're trying to hold on mm-hmm. to a, a, an idea that mm-hmm. maybe um isn't resonating anymore doesn't really work for the times things like that I, and they but they just fervently believe mm-hmm. it because you so the bottom line is if you want to be a resilient organization, you need both. You need the mm-hmm. belief and the awareness, like the awareness right. of the situation around mm-hmm. you, the marketplace, the customer needs, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Those two things together will help an organization mm-hmm. be resilient to survive the, the right. tough times and not end up like mm-hmm. Bed Bath and Beyond. Right. You know, and uh, when you work with, with your clients, I'm sure that there are times where you go in and it's like, nope, too late. <laughs> you know? um, but is there, what is the point where somebody should say, oh my gosh, we need to bring in outside help and, yeah. and have it be effective and not oopsie daisy, we're a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. I think the, the outside help, uh, you know, like w- with Daggering, for instance, mm-hmm. we're oftentimes called in because, because organizations do firmly believe in their future and mm-hmm. they, they are actually uh, bringing in an organization like Daggerwing mm-hmm. t- because they feel uh, that they're resilient, because mm-hmm. they're resilient, right? They want to keep going forward mm-hmm. in a very strong and positive way, um, and 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 they just look at this the help that we can provide mm-hmm. as something that accelerates their momentum mm-hmm. uh, and really helps them move forward more, much more quickly and mm-hmm. effect- effectively and things like that. So that's one one way mm-hmm. to know when you need when you when it might be helpful to bring in some support is when you've already got a strong sense of belief. Mm-hmm you know, in a strong sense of awareness of the, of the reality around mm-hmm. you, like, Hey, I'm aware that, you know, I really strongly believe in what we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much aware of how, like what the capability mm-hmm. of my current team is right mm-hmm. now. They're great. Mm-hmm. And it would be even better if we brought in some extra people to right. sort of add fuel to the mm-hmm. fire and get us going in, mm-hmm. in a direction that really is going to, you know, help us leapfrog mm-hmm. some competition or expand our market share, mm-hmm. or whatever it is they're, they're hoping to do. Um, and that, that to me is a, a great reason to bring in mm-hmm. uh, an outside, an mm-hmm. outside source. I think the, the not so great reason to bring in an outside resource would be when we're like, you don't know what to, like, you're just like, yeah. I, I'm we're lost. Mm-hmm. We're lost. Mm-hmm. I, please fix me. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, I think when you, when you go, when you kind of 
approach a consultancy that says, and you're like, please fix me. Mm-hmm. What is the consultancy going to do? Right. They're going to give you a long list of problems mm-hmm. that they can help you solve. Mm-hmm. Which you, you probably will, already knew existed. Right. And which will which you will pay for. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not that helpful to be given a long list of problems because the yeah. more you the more you look at problems. It's depressing. Right. Well, you know, the uh, um, confirmation bias, right? Mm-hmm. So like this idea of like, you, you know, if I, if I say there's a problem, then mm-hmm. everybody, you know, so I'd like you to go find problems. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? You're going to go mm-hmm. find problems. It's like when you're driving down the highway, mm-hmm. you see a Honda CRV and you're like, oh, that's a, a Honda CRV. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you see 50 Honda CRV. Right. And CRVs especially if you want to buy one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, because mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. raising, it, it mm-hmm. creates that awareness. Whereas if you're an organization that's constantly on the lookout for mm-hmm. opportunities or constantly on the lookout for the strengths of your organization that you want to leverage, right. then that's what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, you're going to be able to understand how to turn those into opportunities mm-hmm. and to help, you know, help you mm-hmm. grow through the challenges right. that you're facing. Right. You know, and, and you mentioned that several times in your book and it, and it is just kind of one of those common sense things where if you are looking for problems, you're going to find problems. If you're looking for positives, you will find positives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and we see that you know all the time in classrooms, in in businesses, wherever it is. You know, if you're expecting things to go wrong, they'll go wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the the whole self fulfilling prophecy type of thing. Um, but if you have faith in the people and your processes and and all of those. Then when something like COVID or a flood or a fire or a bigger competitor or whatever comes along, then you can, can work your way through it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, this isn't, this isn't like a Pollyanna idea where it's right. like you just pretend problems no, don't no, exist, no, no, no. <laughs> but, there's, but there's a great, mm-hmm. great quote from, uh, you know, a, a organizational development, you know, leadership guru mm-hmm. legend, Peter Drucker, mm-hmm. who said, you know, the, the goal or the, the role of leaders mm-hmm. is to amplify strengths to the point where mm-hmm. weaknesses become irrelevant. Right. You know, that's, I, I don't know if mm-hmm. I got the quote exactly right, but the idea is to, you know, really not not fixate mm-hmm. on all the weaknesses and problems right. because then then what happens when you fix a problem? You're mm-hmm. just back to like it's mm-hmm. just like just like a setback, right? Mm-hmm. You're just back to zero. Right. Uh, you're not actually growing. You're mm-hmm. not moving forward. You're just like fixing. And mm-hmm. getting getting back to zero. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, you have to like keep the ship running, mm-hmm. and you also have to think forward and think about the opportunities. Right. Well. Yeah, and to see those problems as as a way to get better, as as you said, you know, I was thinking like computer systems would be a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, your your uh, folks are telling you we they're just adequate. We're you know we need to replace these, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's going to cost a lot of money, but then you know, okay, when we replace them, here's what's going to happen. We'll be able to fulfill orders twice as quickly. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to cut costs. We'll be able, all of those various things. So yeah, you take that, that not really a negative. It's you take that situation and just grow from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, the, the hard, um, Sometimes those are hard conversations mm-hmm. where you have to lay out the reality right. for people mm-hmm. that, that they might not Mm-hmm. want to hear mm-hmm. um you know so we are you know like we're changing you know from this system to that system mm-hmm. or whatever when people are so used to mm-hmm. the other one and their ways of working right. they've built their or well, maybe they've built mm-hmm. their career around it all their routines mm-hmm. and everything they know and they feel totally 
lost with mm-hmm. without with this new thing. Uh, they don't embrace the spirit mm-hmm. of curiosity or whatever. And they're right. not like lifelong learners mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, um, that's really really t- tough for people. Mm-hmm. But um, the best thing an organization can do, I think, to create the kind of resilient environment that they need to survive is to be honest and straightforward about right. stuff, even when it's challenging, mm-hmm. you know? So this idea of um, uh, le- providing a really crystal clear view of what reality is. I mm-hmm. talk about that a lot in my book. It's like, you know, sometimes organizations get in this state of like, you know, they want to massage the truth a little bit, or they mm-hmm. want to massage reality. We're not going to tell you we're going to have to lay off a certain number. Yeah, we're just, you know, it's okay. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't, you know. and they, they, they kind of are a little bit, you know, um, not maybe not as forthcoming mm-hmm. or not as transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that ultimately, oh, it bites you. <laughs> ultimately does. Right. So, you know, people, people remember that stuff mm-hmm. and people do, you know, it's a trust eroding right. action to mm-hmm. say one thing and do another, mm-hmm. especially at scale in an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be, I mean, if you're going to say anything, the truth is always a right. good idea, right. <laughs> you know? yeah. even if it hurts. Right. Um, years ago, I worked for a big financial company and we did some mergers and acquisitions. And so we had multiples of, of things. And so, I mean, it made common sense that people were going to have to go, that there were going to have to be transitions. Mm-hmm. And I was, I happened to be the head of communications. So, you know, I was the person in charge of that messaging. Mm-hmm. And the problem was we didn't know. We just didn't know. Hadn't, hadn't really determined yet all of these various things. And, but, oh, we gave it lots of corporate speak, all these various things. And if they had just said, we don't know, mm-hmm. but we'll tell you when we do, people would have gone okie dokie, you know, and, 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 you know, we tried to tell them also that the vacuum was the worst thing. You know, if you don't give information at all, everybody makes it up and they almost never make it up good. Right. It's not going to be, Oh, our company's going (laughs) to, going to triple. It's like, no, they're going to lay all of us off. Um, You know, and, and so, yeah, even if you don't know, that's okay to tell Mm -hmm. people, we don't know, but we'll get you the answers when we do. Um, you know, then, then they're going to go, all righty, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. I, yes. <clears throat> and, and I think even these days th- with the kind of rev- the attitudes of workers are changing, mm-hmm. has, have changed right. a lot over the last several years, mm-hmm. people are not only kind of expecting or anticipating that they're demanding transparency, mm-hmm. right? They're, right. They're like, if you're not going to be straight with me, mm-hmm. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, or you know they don't. They're like I, they put up with zero mm-hmm. nonsense, especially these darn millennials. <laughs> well, I think even you know I've for I've them seen a lot though, of, right? Like, mm-hmm. People in their late mm-hmm. career. So, yeah. I just saw a story about a guy who's like, rather than come back to the office, mm-hmm. I'm going to retire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they want yeah. everybody back in the office. I'm like, ah, forget it. I don't feel mm-hmm. like commuting. I'm just going to you know walk yeah. my dogs every day. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people just are adopting this new, you know, this have a lot of people's ideas and attitudes mm-hmm. around work have changed. And it's, I think, across the generations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people just have a different, uh, a different social contract mm-hmm. now with the workplace and right. uh, organizations need to recognize that. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> and again, be honest, um, you know, and, and then of course the worst things that we see are when they try and force things, you know, you will come into the office again, or you will be fired. And how many times have we seen this now in these last months? And the employees are like, okay, bye. You know, and and of course, we all know that 
you know, to, to get good employees is very expensive. You know, that you don't just hire somebody and poof, they know what they're doing. Um, you know, there's there's it, there's a big cost to to getting new employees. And so why not do everything you can to keep the ones that you have? <coughs> you know, and, yeah. and it's just it's and and it's funny because of course it makes the news because it's not the little companies, you know, because you know, it, but it's it's the big companies, it's the Amazons, it's the Twitter, it's you know, all of those where they're saying you will come back into the office. And and then what surprises me is when the employees say no, and then the management's surprised. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can work at home in my jammies and not put shoes on and be as productive. Or I can commute an hour each way. I can do all this stuff. Which one do you think I'm going to choose? Now, you know, I'm I am a firm believer that there are definitely advantages to being in a workplace physically mm-hmm. together. You know, it's it, 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 all these various things. But I think that there are just so many people now who are going up. I like being home in my jammies and my bare feet. Yeah. And, and I think the the the. The the question leaders can ask themselves mm-hmm. is if they want an, if they want a resilient organization mm-hmm. they've got and they want people back in the office let's say mm-hmm. um, what's their approach right and this is we do a lot of strategic work at, at Daggering Group with organizations mm-hmm. that have done some you know uh, remote work policy uh, um, evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things like that, you know, trying to create a strong employee value proposition, a strong workplace mm-hmm. culture, all of these things. And there's there's a couple of different choices that are made sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, one is like the very directive demanding. Right. You will. Know, which mm-hmm. is very, very um, tone deaf mm-hmm. and not does not take into account right. the reality of the situation, mm-hmm. which is the worker has mm-hmm. the worker mindset has changed. Mm-hmm. Then there's the other kind of choice in, uh, that a lot of companies or some very effective, mm-hmm. resilient companies are taking, which is we're just going to um, create a great workplace in the office and let you decide which mm-hmm. pro- which value proposition hey. works better for mm-hmm. you. And and they're going to, but they're trying to stack the deck. Mm-hmm. You know, to say like we're going to create really great mm-hmm. uh, uh, on-site workplace mm-hmm. experiences where people feel warm, welcome, mm-hmm. you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then it's like, well, if people are having such a, a great experience at work when they're at, when they're at work mm-hmm. at the office, well, maybe I'll just do that. Mm-hmm. So they self-select into this mm-hmm. process. The, you know, the organization gets what they want, which is right. everybody back in the office and they, you know, suddenly rent makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a directive. It's more mm-hmm. of a collaborative experiential right. uh, process where it's like, Hey, you know, we definitely want you back. Mm-hmm. We're not going to mandate it, but we are right. going to create the conditions mm-hmm. that, that make it very attractive for mm-hmm. you to want to come back to the office. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a culture that's a culture right. solution, mm-hmm. not a process solution. Mm-hmm. As we talked about in the very very beginning, mm-hmm. you know, when there's a problem, what do organizations mm-hmm. tend to try to do? They try to, you know, get out the wrench and the screwdriver and mm-hmm. try and just it. pound. They pound that poor yeah. little nail in that square hole. Yeah. The directive, that's the that's mm-hmm. the fixing the engine, fixing the mm-hmm. problem. And then this other process where you try and create a great workplace mm-hmm. environment is the more is is a is more of a abundance mindset mm-hmm. or a, a solutions orientation or right. an opportunity orientation. Mm-hmm. And and but the end result is people at work that are happy, want mm-hmm. to be there, productive, mm-hmm. you know, as right. opposed to the other place you've got mm-hmm. you know, people scared to death, mm-hmm. they can't afford to quit, mm-hmm. they go into the office, they're miserable, they're mm-hmm. terrified. 
and they spend half their time looking for a new job anyway. Right. You know, let's talk about stress in the workplace um, because that's often what happens, obviously, in these situations, COVID or no COVID. I mean, clearly this is, has been going on for so long where, you know, the, the, the workplace is hostile, such a negative place. I mean, all of these various things, even if it's just that this is the way we've always done it, you know, we don't want your input. We don't want any of your suggestions. Why is stress in a workplace so bad? Where do I know. Where do we begin, right? <laughs> well, um, it, well, first of all, workplace stress is a, a constant. I think there's always going to be a little bit of workplace right. stress just because it's it's work, right? There's mm-hmm. always a, a it, it's right. A, it's, there's deadlines. There's yeah. There's things yeah. that yeah. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about is chronic workplace mm-hmm. stress, where people are actually physically affected right. because they go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, toxicity, mm-hmm. you know, uh, belittlement, you know, mm-hmm. uh, marginalization, cruel punishments, mm-hmm. all that great, all that stuff. Um, it has been a problem for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, only f- five or six years ago, the World Health Organization declared workplace stress as a global epidemic, mm. um, you know, that affects GDP, mm-hmm in every country right. in the tens of mm-hmm. billions of dollars, right? Because if so you're not is, happy, you're not going to do your best work. And you might not even go to work, right? right. You, you'll just like- Or you sabotage it, even worse. Sabotage mm-hmm. it, stay home, mm-hmm. get sicker, mm-hmm. you know, tack, you know, you, you, mm-hmm. you're in the hospital more often or at mm-hmm. the doctor more often, you're mm-hmm. tapping into those resources that, you know, that the governments are funding, for mm-hmm. instance, that kind of stuff, depressive symptoms, you know, all the, all the stuff, then mm-hmm. rippling- into your family life, you kick right. the dog, all the all mm-hmm. that nonsense, right? That happens. But um, the another alarming statistic, and this is the one that really kind of got me, uh, you know, stopped in my tracks, was Jeffrey Pfeffer, <coughs> who's a Stanford University mm-hmm. professor, wrote a book called "Dying for a Paycheck," mm-hmm. and the marquee statistic that he cited mm-hmm. in this book was that the workplace is mm-hmm. the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just unacceptable. Right. It's alarming and unacceptable. Right. And, and, that and I'm assuming you're not talking really about workplace violence, but more things like heart attacks and, yeah. you know, things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Although, yeah, I mean, there are some stats around workplace violence mm-hmm. that are just as alarming, but oh, yes. Yeah. And yep. unfortunately growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yes, um, all of the, all of the uh, um, life shortening mm-hmm. symptoms that arise when you're, mm-hmm when you're existing in a high stress environment all Mm -hmm. the time. I mean, the body is not meant to be peaked in, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, in that mode for, for extended. Yeah. Your adrenaline can only go high for so long. Right. It's, it's meant to be very Mm -hmm. short bits. So, um, when it comes to, you know, why that's the case, it's all, all of those things that we've been talking about Mm -hmm. where there's, you know, people are looking for problems. And when you look for problems, naturally you look for, who to blame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's economic factors that are mm-hmm. reducing workforces, so, but the work doesn't get smaller. Mm-hmm. P- more People are doing more work, less resources, mm-hmm. you know, more pressure, you know, and I think now that we're facing a recession, I think we're also going to see uh, a return to mm-hmm. these, these uh, folks who believe they can't quit mm-hmm. because they're just economically... Right. Tied mm-hmm. to their mm-hmm. tied to their workplaces, and they they feel 
desperate or mm-hmm. hopeless. And, and that's no, no, that's a recipe for high stress right there mm-hmm. for sure. Right. So we've only got a couple minutes left. How do we solve this problem? Which yeah. means we have to have you on again, because, you know, clearly oh, okay. this is, is a discussion that is much longer, but uh-huh. how do we fix this problem? Yeah, I think there's a number of ways that organizations can really work to end the workplace stress mm-hmm. epidemic. And I think it really um, just goes back to those fundamentals of mm-hmm. how to how to create resilience at an individual level, you know, that mm-hmm. you can apply them to uh, organizations, right? So having, uh, being honest with people about the situation that mm-hmm. they're in, even if it's challenging news, you know, mm-hmm. being, being, uh, transparent and forthcoming mm-hmm. about where the organization is, what its strategy mm-hmm. is, what it's where it's heading. Uh, and I think being vulnerable and transparent in that mm-hmm. way gives people a sense of direction mm-hmm. and nothing reduces stress like knowing where you're going. Right. Um, you know, if you if you only see this far ahead, mm-hmm. that's stress. But if you can see the mm-hmm. horizon. Right. Because you know there's a train out there that's going to run you over, right? <laughs> it's called hope. Well, it's hope, mm-hmm. right? So if you feel like if you if you can see a little bit down, you know, uh, across the landscape a little mm-hmm. bit, you you feel like you have choices. You right. feel like you have options mm-hmm. because you can you can actually go somewhere mm-hmm. and not just kind of confront this challenge right in <laughs> your face. Um, also, I think organizations can really explore what resources they have at their disposal mm-hmm. that they may be forgetting about. Ah. Right? So when, when, when an individual is in a moment of peak stress, they forget the, you know, their peripheral vision narrows, right. they forget all of the resources, mm-hmm. like their, their loving, compassionate mm-hmm. spouse or their um, friend group over here mm-hmm. or their dog that they can pet mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. So organizations do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They forget that they've got a lot of great resources at their mm-hmm. disposal when they're in their tight little, mm-hmm. you know, hijacked mode. All of the talent that that's there, mm-hmm. the experience, the expertise, the history, the challenges that they've overcome before, the intellectual property, all of that stuff mm-hmm. is tends to be forgotten when they're. Mm-hmm. So if if people explore that, recognize it, and take that on board, and and leverage it more often Mm -hmm. than I think they're going to be a much more resilient organization, less susceptible Mm -hmm. to that kind of like panicked stress inducing Mm -hmm. behavior that makes everybody really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because bad things are going to happen. I mean, you know, that's just the the way things are. Um, And as they say, bad things happen to good people. Um, But, but yeah, you know, whether it's another epidemic, whether it's a recession, whether it's a flood, a fire, you know, as something that comes along to compete with Amazon, you know, all of those various things. And so just being prepared is so much, you know, let's be Boy Scouts, right? We're going to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is a big part of it is just knowing, you know what, we've got the people and the resources where we can weather those storms. As you said, we can move that sail to a different direction. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the, uh, one of the, um, benefits or one of the lessons i think that that have come out of this book is this idea that we've earned the right to have headwinds you know like when we're the the fact that we're moving forward at all as an organization Mm -hmm. means that you're going to have a little bit of wind blowing in your face Mm -hmm. that's so if you're yeah you're going to have competitors you're going to have you know all sorts of things yeah so you've earned the right to have Mm -hmm. some of these challenges and that's okay to expect Mm -hmm. them uh, the way to be prepared for them is to like make sure that you're you you you've developed the courage mm-hmm. and confidence to grow through those challenges. Mm-hmm. I love it.
Well, oh my gosh, we only have a couple minutes left. And and so please tell us first how they get your book um, and then a little bit more about how to reach you, the services that you provide, things like that. Absolutely. Well, my book is available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, the book, there's a book website, uh, reinventingresilience.com, where you can learn a little bit more about mm-hmm. the model that I created, uh, <laughs> the book, some of my story, uh, and, you know, some, uh, mm-hmm. a press packet and how to book me for speaking things. Mm-hmm. Got a blog there. Great blog posts. Blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some great stuff there. I try to try to keep the writing, um, the, the writing muscles active, uh, after finishing a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of reaching out to help with your with your organization and trying to create a resilient organization, uh, DaggerwingGroup.com is mm-hmm. the, is where I work. I you know I've got unbelievable resources there to help organizations mm-hmm. really think through uh, how to <coughs> do change right the mm-hmm. first time. Where we we love to work shoulder to shoulder with our clients. We don't we're not directive problem seekers. We're partners with with mm-hmm. our uh, clients that really want to do great things in the world and help mm-hmm. them uh, achieve their business objectives. Right. Yeah. And, and we mentioned that you work with fortune 100s. What if you're not quite a fortune 100? Totally. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, uh, so we have a great referral network. I have a great referral network. So if there's other smaller consultancies Perfect. that can help, we, mm-hmm. you know, I, my goal is to make sure people mm-hmm. get the help they need so mm-hmm. that they are, um, uh, not feeling stuck when mm-hmm. those uh, inevitable challenges do arise. Mm-hmm. So what I would love for people to do, in fact, is to, you know, go to my website, mm-hmm. uh, go to reinventingresilience.com, sign up for the, just to be added to my newsletter list. Mm-hmm. What I can do is create a little conversation group or a, a little round table mm-hmm. for people who want to talk about how can I mm-hmm. make help my organization become more resilient mm-hmm. down the road? Maybe there's other like-minded people right. I can connect folks with and things mm-hmm. like that. Right. Well, and, you know, uh, there's as, as much as we like to think we are, there's nothing anymore that's unique. And so we learn from others. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think that's what is is so good about groups and, and things like that, whether it's online, offline, on social media, whatever, you know, we can learn from others, from their their positives and their negatives. Absolutely. Indeed. Um, which is the one thing I would love to leave with, <laughs> with your listeners is this idea that, you know, uh, it's the story of my name. Uh, so my last name is Tallner. And I found out uh, when I was traveling in Austria, that my name is actually an old time occupation. Uh, and it means a person who was hired in a village to guide someone through a mountain pass from one valley to the next valley. Like just imagine, you know, you need to bring your cows over from this valley over to that, that valley. So I guess that was an occupation long ago, um, but it's very relevant to the work that I do now. Cause I try to help organizations that are stuck in a valley, even though there may be fertile valleys, uh, figuring, figuring out how to get out of the valley they're in that might not be productive or helpful for them over that challenging mountain pass and into the next fertile valley where they can really grow and, and, uh, and thrive. So I love it. Advice, so you were predestined. I was to, predestined. To be doing and, this. and mm-hmm. that's my advice to all your listeners. They should also feel like they can be tallners too. They can guide their organizations and organizations that they care about from one place to the next. And I think with the, the resilience model that I created, it might be a great, uh, a great starting point to help on that journey. 
Perfect. I love it. Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been speaking with Paul Tolner, and we can all be Tolners. Um, he is the author of Reinventing Resilience, How Organizations Move Beyond Setbacks and Grow Through Challenges. As I said, we have to have you on again simply because we just scratched the surface on this. So we will do that. But until then, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.